when you're in post-production for a film, it means that you've been um, working on that film for many years, uh, especially when you write it and direct it. And when I was in post-production for Raw, I was a bit uh, obviously tired. And uh, when I'm tired, I need to think about other ideas, other stories, in order to clear my mind a little bit. And I considered my film at the time, so Raw, and I uh, realized that the love story that was between Justine and Adrien uh, in there uh, was a love story that I really enjoyed writing, that I enjoyed directing, um, because of its, um, let's say, um, his um, unconditional aspect, the fact that they love each other no matter what, no matter their gender, no matter the sexuality, but just because they need each other so bad in this context and they only have the other one to rely on, and that's all that matters. And I wondered, why um, did I put love, this type of love aside in my story, which is a first-person film, obviously, about her emancipation uh, through monstrosity. And I realized at this moment that for me, love was a topic that was hard to tackle, that it was hard to talk about love for me. And, um, and I decided that um, I would do that for my second picture, that I would talk about love. I said this to, as a challenge to myself, if you will. So Raw has something to do, uh, obviously, um, with the, the genesis of, uh, of Titan. And talking about what you said about the, um, the fact that there is a continuity between my films, including my first short, actually, it is very true. It's like I like to think about my work as, a, as a, the same gesture somehow, that I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper through the same gesture. I think it's a bit hard for me to um, actually um, consider my film with a, a beginning and an end, and then you move on to something completely different. Um, I, I prefer the idea that actually you can see in Titan, I prefer this idea of movement and of shedding skins somehow in order to get deeper and deeper to a form of truth. But yeah, I think it's really, really just about dialogues, and I do believe that the dialogues between bodies in this film are way more important than the dialogues with words. Like, the, the only line that I really think is important is, you're my son no matter who you are. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hello. 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 Hi. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SpeakAllEvilPod. Next week, Kevin is going to be in Amsterdam. And he's, Across the uh, pond. Yeah, he's bringing us with him cinematically. He's taking us along with uh, some Dutch horror, which we have never um, Dutched upon, I don't think, in the history of the show. We, we talked about The Vanishing on the Patreon. And if you haven't seen The Vanishing, it's on Criterion right now. Really, really mm. great one. Um, not the American remake with Kiefer Sutherland, but the original Vanishing no. is really good. Um, but Kevin has uh, picked a couple of Dutch horror movies for us. The Lift from 1983, which is free on Tubi or VOD. Uh, and also The Columnist from 2019, which is on Shutter right now, or VOD. I've never heard of The Lift, but I've heard of The Columnist, and I've heard good things. Well, The Lift is going to kind of go right. It's going to follow up Dave's week very nicely, because um, it's about a killer elevator. This week, speaking of Dave's week, it's Dave's Motor Sex Week. Is that what you, <laughs> is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, it was a consensual 
sex because I've, there's been a problem when we came off like the hardcore week and everything. We were just like, can we please just get a movie without sexual assault? And I felt like, you know, Kat, you might have aimed that a little bit at me. So I, I took it. It's my responsibility <laughs> to pick a couple good, fun movies um, about cars and motors and machines. We're going to start with the um, 1986 classic, much maligned, legendary film, Stephen King's sole directorial self-adaptation, which he has since disavowed. We're going to talk about that. I think he needs to reavow it. We're going to start with Maximum Overdrive. Yes. Um, I picked this movie because this was like the definition of kick-ass when I was a kid. It's just like kicked ass. It was like machines <laughs> and blood and like muscle shirts and ACDC yeah. and Stephen King kind of having like a real coming out the gate. I'm going to scare the pants off you and just going super hard. Um, it was a Dino De Laurentiis production, which I liked because his stuff has a certain cheapness to it. Uh, you know, we, we talked about King Kong 1974 which I believe was my pick that was a little bit panned, like Barbarella. Um, so I thought it was cool that it was from that production company. Um, and also, uh, Jimmy Iovine was an executive producer on this movie. Um, wow, and, I didn't catch that. Yeah, I, I rode in a Bentley one time in Los Angeles with <laughs> Jimmy Iovine. Oh, wow. Nothing happened between me and the car uh, at that <laughs> at that point, but it was a very nice car. Mm. But he, he's like the, the head guy at Interscope, and um, he started off in movies, and like his big hit was uh, Revenge of the Nerds. So it's kind of cool uh, seeing him on this. This is universally panned, but I love this movie. It's so fun. It's like like killing a small thing with a slingshot. It's like this primal, childish horror uh, I don't really kill small things, but you know, it's that kind of thing. It's like, it's not set in Maine, which is kind of, it kind of like throws you out of the Stephen King atmosphere for a bit, but it definitely could have taken place at like Dice Arts in Bangor. Uh, yes. It takes place at yes. the, the big boy, uh, Dixie boy uh, gas station. And it's a bunch of people, machines, uh, in the wake of uh, this Rhea M comet that's passing Earth, um, in its in its tail, we start experiencing all sorts of machines malfunctioning, but with intent. Like they want to kill humans. There's like I don't know. There's it's very comedic in that part because you have soda machines and you have. Uh, I really like the drawbridge. The bridge uh, opens and, you know, all the cars fall and there's this big melee of watermelons. And um, this movie's just really gratuitous in a really stupid way. But there are some, like, good bad guys that are um, machines. I really like, uh, there's like a, a swivel, like, machine gun that is really the big killer of everyone. Um, and then you have a bunch of Mack trucks that are trying to sneak up on people. <laughs> 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 and uh, I'm not going to give it away, but I mean, the boss hog character uh, from the place. Bubba. Uh, Bubba. Pat Hingle, uh, Hendershot. He was like like real like boss hog. And he, right away, he had the, the missile launcher. Yeah. And 
that it ended up there was this wasn't the kind of horror movie there's like a secret to like oh you got to find this thing that that's what kills them it was just like just keep using the missile launcher <laughs> um which is unlike you know a Stephen King um, yeah, and then they, tale. Yeah, they like it put it away and then like, oh, maybe get that back out. Like, <laughs> yeah, why, I know. Why did it <laughs> go away? It's so stupid. <laughs> Everything from this era, I liked. I loved Creepshow. The Heat kind of had a hand in. I love his, his cameo in the beginning of this, uh, where he's looking into a very primitive ATM machine and it's calling him asshole and saying, <laughs> fuck so you. Good. Um, that's kind of where everything starts. But that's how the movie starts. It just gets right into it. And that's what I liked about this. It's just a fun watch. Uh, what did you guys think? This is a great one. I can't believe all this time. I mean, I saw this when I was a kid, and it had a you know a pretty strong effect on me. A lot of the scenes in this I've remembered from my entire life. The soda machine, the steamroller on the baseball fields, um, the electric knife, the goblin truck. Like All that stuff has been burned in my brain, and none more than the soundtrack the ACDC exclusive soundtrack album, Who Made Who, um, all of that stuff I want to talk about. But this movie is just the business, and it's so refreshing to just start the movie with a massacre of people, and then you get your Stephen King cameo, like you said, right away, hilarious. This movie doesn't try to like, oh, show the characters first, set up the conflict, uh, get to know the family. No, this is just <laughs> machines killing tons of people. So many murders. It's uh, it's gory. It's gross. It's ridiculous. You, you slap some ACDC on the top of this thing. You call it a day. I think this is a great one. I, I had a great time watching this movie. A total rediscovery. I think that it deserves a reappraisal. I would love for the master of horror, Stephen King, to stop how he was on drugs and all this. Own this movie. This was made for the ages, not the moment. Uh, it's just as good as... Many Stephen King adaptations that have been made and better than a lot of them. This movie fucks. It's campy. <laughs> it's funny. It's goofy. But it's also action packed. Yes, it's gory. It is. Ah. It's it's got its little creepy machine moments, I guess. Less so scary moments, more just like a oh, that guy just got run down by a steamroller and he exploded like a tube of toothpaste. <laughs> Uh, a child. A child. A child, yeah, a child nonetheless. <laughs> it was just mowed down right off the bat. I was like, okay, yup. I feel like my expectations going in were a little low just because, you know, it's Stephen King's only directing gig. And, you know, I figured the massive, massive amounts of cocaine and et, et cetera that he did while. Uh, making this movie would make it like very erratic and unwatchable but I just thought it was so good it really was everything that I want in like an older horror movie and it absolutely holds up it's like it's just kooky enough to make it like laughable and enjoyable but it's still badass enough simultaneously to keep your attention and just making you want to finish and watch this movie over and over again. Obviously, I wouldn't say, you know, the plot is foolproof. It's got some, there's some questions I think that could be answered, but I didn't even care. I was just like, just do whatever. I don't even care about the plot. The acting was just classic 80s. So it was the dialogue. It was just, it was just great. I think this might be my new favorite Stephen King movie. I'll say it. I said it here first. Wow. I'm ready to roll. All right. 
it's funny, Dave, you point out that it's not set in Maine. It's because Dino De Laurentiis, who was just throwing money at Stephen King from like the late 70s into like the late 80s, uh, he built a studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, where this takes place. But the reason that you know that Stephen King is from Maine is he has this script is so bonkers. He has sayings like, I don't give a ladybug. Someone calls someone a pea turkey. Someone says, you pukey things. Someone's called a snot bag. This is full of like Northeast inappropriate lingo and things that Stephen King would definitely be putting in his books. But the craziest thing about this is that why would Stephen King try to do a full-length adaptation of a very short story, one of his earliest published short stories? Why would he try to flesh this out? He took a very short story that has very few characters, and he tried to Stephen King it and put like 50 characters in. The one thing I will thank him for, character-wise, is that Boss Hog that you were talking about, Dave, you have the fucking bad guy, the owner of this truck stop, who inexplicably also has a you know, cachet of weapons. His name is Bubba. And this dude gets away with calling everybody Bubba. Like, I want to live my life like that. I want to start talking to you guys and just calling you Kevin. That's like, that's like, the, the good old boy network. They just call, everyone is just called Bubba. I don't really get it, but that's the thing. They, but they that's that. his own I name. Know. <laughs> I have no idea what Stephen King was thinking when he opened up with those title cards about the comet. And then at the end, you have Russian weather satellites and lasers and nuclear weapons. And everything is just bonkers. This movie is cocaine. This movie is Stephen King drinking 12 beers by mm. 10 a.m. on set every day. And I love every second of it. If you ever wanted to know Stephen King and his thoughts on kids, just watch this movie. Because when the kids get it, you're just like, apparently this movie had an X rating at one point. But yeah, this is, Dave, thank you. I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart for this <laughs> pick this week. It's uh it's going to be a tough one. To, I'm hoping that I can uh, that next week I can bring a little bit of thunder because this is lit. I am thunderstruck. Dave. <laughs> so, um, the soundtrack for me was a huge part of this movie when it came out. The reason why I still like it. I don't go around bumping ACDC any anymore, but I probably should. But this was a good excuse because you get both the Brian Johnson ACDC and you get yes. right on. Yes. Ron Scott, which um, like a lot of the music sounds like it was made for this movie because of the lyrics and stuff are all about like some I of it. Know, just, yeah, some of it was some of it had this to movie have was my introduction to ACDC. I had not really I didn't really know like the music of ACDC really until this soundtrack album is called Who Made Who. And it functioned as both a soundtrack album to the movie with the song Who Made Who, which was written for the movie, and a couple instrumentals. And then it was also kind of a retrospective. It had, like you say, a ride on from Dirty Deeds. It had Hell's Bells, um, Sink the Pink, and all that stuff. So this uh, um, shook Didn't this shook introduce us long. to Shook Me All Night Long? Wasn't this like No, the... that was on... Well, no, I'm no, gonna, that's back I'm going to tell you all these things. Who Made Who was ACDC's biggest hit since like the almost the back in black era because back in black being the big comeback album then there was uh for those about to rock and then after that 
they started into this like flick of the switch album and fly on the wall didn't really have big hits weren't very well received and then the single for who made who was a big hit so Stephen King can take some responsibility, I think, for bringing them back. And then after this, they had Blow Up Your Video and Thunderstruck, and they were like kind of back into the late 80s zeitgeist. Um, The album damaged my hearing, and I knew it was happening at the time because I had to listen to it on my Walkman, and I had it on 10 all the time, always had to be 10. I could hear my hearing going, you know in real time um, but that's one of my favorite parts of the movie and it's the the weird thing is that like a lot of the for some reason in the movie a lot of the times they seem like different mixes did you notice that dave like at the end um shook me all night long it yeah. sounds like a room mic mix or something yes they talk about that yeah that you can look it up like there are different like mixes and different versions okay for for this alone i don't know if it was like a rights thing or if they like literally just like dug up like different versions to make it like re-recorded it for the movie or something like that so usually when you mix a song uh probably definitely at acdc's level they the they would mix an instrumental version a clean version a dirty version and then these other versions of like stems sometimes for soundtracks or if you get a soundtrack like this the movie makers usually will go into the multi-track of the recording so the things that you heard kevin about like just angus young playing a thing that sounded like it went exactly to it it was probably an isolated track right from those same songs which is cool did you guys um watch the trailer for this, the original trailer with Stephen King. I did. Yeah. Yeah, where Stephen King, yeah, Dave mentioned it, how he's like, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. And he's so fucked up that, like, you can't even tell who he's I just thought at. it was so outrageous because, um, you know, Stephen King appears in the trailer as Stephen King. And he says, the first thing he says in the trailer is, I just wanted somebody to do Stephen King right. This is 1986. So he's already had Brian De Palma make Carrie in like 76, (laughs) arguably still the greatest. He's he's had Toby Hooper do the two-part Salem's Lot, which is not bad at all. Pretty damn good. He's had John Carpenter make Christine. And he just had David Cronenberg make The Dead Zone, which even at the time was well-received. And he has the nerve to- Stanley Kubrick. Oh, The Shining. I forgot about (laughs) The Shining. (laughs) He has the nerve to go in this trailer all- Everyone but Coppola. I mean, that takes a lot of ball. To then then get all messed up and go on this national trailer and say how like finally someone's gonna do Stephen King right. Oh. He's so main. <laughs> we talked to like we talked about Emilio, or we haven't even talked about Emilio. How the hell did they get Emilio Estevez? I'm guessing that was Dino De Laurentiis. But King wanted Bruce Springsteen yeah. to have the lead. <laughs> he was like kicking and screaming to have the boss play the lead. <laughs> That's so like, bizarre. But can you imagine how much better this movie might be? How much more of a cult classic it could be if the boss it would be they live was Emilio was the boss Billy? would have a whole different career. That, mm-hmm. that doesn't even make <laughs> that doesn't even really make sense to me though because wasn't this post born in the USA? I mean, the boss was a superstar. Like, why would he star in this movie? I, that seems like something that Stephen King called people at 3 a.m. and told them or something and they were like yeah well i know marty sheen and his son will do it so he's like super he's like super coked up listening to like born to run yeah. he's like i need bruce springsteen 
<laughs> well, Stephen King is is a, a true rock and roller. Everybody knows he he had a he owned a classic rock station in Bangor for a long time. So I appreciate that he had to have his rock and roll in this movie. That's cool. Um, I also like that they snuck in a classic country song into this movie. It might be my favorite. This might be the creepiest part for me is the ice cream truck that's just going around playing the ice cream truck version of King of the Road. Just like, (laughs) so creepy. I was sitting there, I was like, is that King of the Road? And I was just like, this movie just got 10,000 times cooler. And it makes sense, because in the song, they say they reference Bangor, Maine. Oh, right, sure. Stephen King. That is a very King, that's a very Mm -hmm. King thing to do. You mentioned the original story, Kevin, and this is much different. The original story is called Trucks in Night Shift, and it's just about, it's a, it's a somber, it's a much quieter, it's not like an action type of thing, like it's a very dark, it's an awesome story, you should read Trucks, but it's just the trucks that sort of become sentient and they want to enslave humanity to just fill their tanks so they can drive and they can get their tanks filled. That's like this bizarre like circle, it's some, maybe, I think it was probably some sort of commentary on like the 70s gas shortages and things like that and this sort of like wasteful economy where people are just like you know going to go and then filling up and going to go again and maybe that wasn't deemed like as relevant for the 80s and so Stephen King just wanted to do the whole he decided it would be a comet there's no explanation in the in the original story but he decided that it would be a comet and it would be all machines including video games that's like as high tech as this movie gets this is before the PC horror you know um, before the home computer and all that so you just have electric knives going crazy and stuff um, but we didn't talk about the biggest star of Maximum Overdrive it's not Emilio Estevez it's Yardley Smith Lisa Simpson. <laughs> yeah. The most relevant. I didn't know. I had no idea. I never, I don't think I ever knew that until now. Um, what a legend. She was insufferable. It was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was I, I love, I love her to death. It's crazy. She even tells someone to eat, eat my shorts. Oh, beautiful. Uh, in this, I think she was like just auditioning or doing like the first like short version of the Simpsons. Like as she was doing this, she's disowned this, like just about everybody involved. in Sad. It. Frankie Faison, who is uh, in this, I was like, how do I know this guy? How do I know this guy? And it's from coming to America. He's in Chud, Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon. There's that one guy, uh, we just saw him in uh, Eight-Legged Freaks. He made a comeback. The mayor from Eight-Legged Freaks is in this one, a young'un. And then the evil chicken guy from Breaking Bad. It's a star-studded cast. Marla Maples, first wife of Donald Trump, is in this movie. Second wife. Second Uh, wife, Trent. (laughs) Of course. I I shouldn't have said that. She was a wife. the evil chicken guy from Breaking Uh, Bad? the, uh, The... Gus? He's the video... He, he gets it by the video game. Yeah, he was like the first one to to get it. I feel like one of the things that King does a lot, and it's not my favorite thing that he does, is he always has the ragtag band of people who don't know each other stuck in a grocery store or a truck stop. Or the a miss. Bu- you know, yep. he does that all the time. Even some of the, the epics like The Stand, Desperation, and some of these longer ones, they always kind of revolve around all these people sort of coming together and realizing they have to fight the satanic guy or whatever. This kind of does that same thing. And I, and I love when movies are set in a closed, trapped location like that. Like, okay, we're stuck in, this, in the truck stop and we're under siege. But this doesn't do any of the silly, like he doesn't try to get like super cheesy with all the commentary you know he doesn't do like stuff like the mist which to me it just hits you over the head it's like so obvious and kind of rudimentary to me but he doesn't bother 
with that in this. It's just very crude. There's really no social commentary of any kind in this. Well, he doesn't he doesn't drop like his blatant atheism. Well, he makes sure that uh, he makes sure that the big briefcase named the Holy Bible gets run over right on yeah. camera. <laughs> but that, I mean, again, that's like his atheism on cocaine. He was just like, I'm just going to throw this out there real quick because it's a fleeting thought. Um, but he doesn't like beat you over the head with it like the mist. Right. You know, you have like the super religious woman that's in the yes. in the grocery store yes. and some of his other stuff. But but he does try to stuff too many characters in this, which he is super guilty of. Yes. Um, I thought the end um, harkened back to a lot of classics like um, Day of the Dead, even the Dawn of the Dead remake, even A Quiet Place, you know, the whole sail to the island. I mean, that's kind of like that always becomes the plan in these movies. Somebody knows of an island and a boat and we just have to get there. Yeah, this to me was very George Romero. Yes, yes. And like the last time Stephen King had done something, he had collaborated with George Romero for for Creepshow. Right. uh, Which is also another you know, him dissing everybody before him that he ever worked with and then making a movie that's so much like Romero. You know what I mean? Like, Well, and Trent, you sent us like that great, uh, it, it's accompanied to the podcast, How Did This Get Made? Where they have a great episode yes. uh, on this movie and you sent the oral history, the article, and there's, there's like unconfirmed rumors that George Romero was on set a ton during this possibly trying to keep Stephen King in check and keep the production like on task. I, I couldn't like, like there's, I can't confirm that. So uh, don't blast me there internet, but it wouldn't shock me because this really does have like a late eighties Romero vibe to it. Yep. The written oral history part is on uh, slash film. It's really in depth and there's maybe a little bit too much about the history of Dino De Laurentiis and stuff, but it, it talks to a bunch of the cast and crew of Maximum Overdrive. They talk about the lawnmower accident where the guy lost his eye permanently <gasps> and uh, affected no. his work. I think he was the, one of the cinematographers. Um, it was a it was a wild set, and it's really interesting to read. Also, I just read uh, a recent interview. Well, this was on a podcast on. Uh, the uh, postmortem podcast, which is done by Mick Garris, who's done tons of work with Stephen King. He just had Joe Hill on and Joe Hill said that he would love to remake Maximum Overdrive. I don't know how serious um, he is, but that would be amazing. He's never directed a movie. I really think he should take on his dad's uh, his dad's Titanic. And uh, <laughs> he was there on set the entire time. Titanic in two different ways. I meant it more as a complete disaster. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fun to watch. It is. This is a great time. VOD, check it out. Now, the problem with uh, doing a remote from my house is that Big trucks always drive by my house and they have to rev their engines. I'm not really like uh, attracted to trucks. But the next film that I chose in my motors, machines, mayhem, and masculinity now <laughs> is Titan. This is a very, very complex movie, although I've I've seen a lot of people talk in reviews about how uh, it's hard to follow or they're confused by this movie. 
and and it's too art house. I didn't think that at all. I think that there's a very definitive story. It starts off with a young girl who gets this contraption uh, put on her her neck after a car accident that that she causes um, by just being a brat in the back seat, and she ends up with a titanium plate in her head. And it's the story of her, Alexia. She grows up uh, and it just kind of cuts into her being a dancer at these like car shows. And um, she's also a serial killer. I don't want to give away too much. There's a lot. <laughs> it's, it, you know, the, this movie is very straightforward. There's really no, I, I think you're fine on this one. I mean, it's not like there's, it's, it just lays everything out. The only hard part is believing it. So. I love Vincent Linden. Oh man, uh, who so also good. who plays Vincent in this? There, there's a mistaken identity, and he ends up as like the father of this serial killer girl car aficionado, uh, to say the least. Um, but Vincent Linden uh, is in every time I reference why I love French cinema, it's because of the movie La Moustache. It's this big budget movie about a guy who just shaves off his mustache. And I always talk about this movie. Um, and he's also in La Haine, uh, which is one of Vincent Cassell's breakout uh, movies uh, way back in the day. And uh, he's in Bastards that's streaming on Shutter right now. I could not be a bigger fan of uh, Vincent Linden. He's really, really good. And also he plays a great detective in this movie called Mea Culpa. Um, he has a lot of depth. And I think that these two have... Um, it reminds me of a, a documentary called The Imposter. I don't know if anyone saw this. It's basically, uh, someone sees a kid is missing, and they're like, I'm going to go and say, hey, I'm your missing kid. Um, and there's this, this sadness and desperation between the relationship with these two uh, in the midst of it being a very grotesque body horror movie. She has metal inside her, and she's pretending to be... Um, this guy's child who's been missing. Uh, and then a whole bunch of surprising things happen. I love this movie. It was reminiscent of like Monster with Charlize Theron. Uh, and it also uh, reminded me, the, especially the body horror part, I almost paired this with uh, Tetsuo, the Iron Man, uh, the Japanese uh, art house horror, black and white. Um, but I love Titan. We saw it in the theater together, and I saw it again two more times, and it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, Julia DeCorno, she's got to pull off a hat trick here. You know, this is only her second feature film, Raw. I'm with you, Dave. Like, French horror cinema is my favorite. And when we did, you know, our, our first French, like, extremity episode, that was the one that I went with because I, I couldn't believe that somebody had made a horror movie that good. Like, probably my favorite since Martyrs. And for this to be her second feature film, and for it to be so, like, fantastical, but so grounded, and so feminist, but so masculine at the same time, it really, like, touched on, like, every single part of the spectrum that you could the movie has truly shocking moments and it's hard to do that. Like as, as much as we watch these types of movies, it's hard to just like be shocked nowadays. And Titan has several moments where I am just shocked. 
like, holy shit, that just happened. But then also, like, really tender moments. And it's a classic movie of making you really feel for the antagonist. Like, there's a clear antagonist in this film. And the entire time, you're like, I should not like this person, but you're still rooting for them. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people, like you said, Dave, like might have been confused about it. But, you know, a guy Rousseau, who plays Alexia slash Adrian, um, just this is her first feature. And she absolutely hits it out of the park. Like it is her performance is like visceral. Uh, and like like Vincent Lindon, like you talked about, like a huge deal in French in our French cinema. But I have not seen a movie in quite a long time that the first time I watched it, I was very caught off guard and couldn't spend like a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, and then went back a second time. And then I would encourage people, uh, DeCorno and uh, Rousseau and Lindon. Uh, they all have some really great interviews where they're very open about what this movie means. So I would encourage people, like, one, definitely a high recommend to watch. And then, two, I appreciate the fact that everyone involved in the making of this film uh, did a lot of really good press where they just said, no, we're not going to leave this, like, vague. Um, here's, here's what we mean. Um, and then, obviously, like, the whole, like, you know, mechanical, like human mechanical relationships that happen. And then the the very end where we have, you know, a little baby. I, I think that this movie just says a lot. And I'm I'm really, really excited to see what she does, hopefully in, in the genre. She's she's the new Cronenberg man. I have some thoughts about this <laughs> film. First and foremost is this was the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. In, I think in my entire life, I'm absolutely not surprised that all of you loved it because you're all freaks. All right. <laughs> Don't kink shame it, on this show. I'm, I'm not here to, <laughs> I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum, but this f- movie was fucking bonkers. Like it was out of this world. Just fucking yeah. weird. Yeah. I, I want, I knew what was happening. I think, for the most part. And then I had to look it up on the internet to make sure. And yep, that's what happened. This is a movie that you absolutely have to suspend all disbelief for to be invested in it. Because when I go into it, I'm like, well, if if this is happening, then it must mean this, and that's how this... No, just throw all that. Do not try to connect any dots. Nothing is real. The only time that this might be real is in the mind of a mentally ill person who's imagining it in real life. That being said, I liked the feel of the movie. I thought it was very visually appealing. And I liked it at first. I thought it was interesting with like the murdery scenes and stuff. And then the car scene happened and I was... Very confused. What happened? What happened with the car, Cat? You can tell us. It's uh, right she, in the beginning of the movie. It's she, very straightforward. She fucked a car. <laughs> <laughs> she fucking. But not like. Is not that the suspension of disbelief that you were talking about. <laughs> the car had suspension. <laughs> so that's the thing. So she could have just been fucking a car like normal. Sorry, like yeah. real people do sometimes in this world. But no, 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 the car was fucking her back. 
And that, right. I think, is when I got lost in the You're sauce. You're just jealous because no Cadillacs want to fuck you. That must be it. <laughs> Not only did the car fuck her back, go ahead. Just say what happens. The, the car impregnates this woman. <laughs> I just yes. can't. Say it. <laughs> just say it i can't say it it sounds so ridiculous she gets knocked up by this fucking car that she dances on during the the uh, car show and then is hiding her weird pregnancy and killing people and then she uh, has a you know what i i got lost there and then i got lost again when she's like has the weird like flirtatious moment with the dad i just Daddy of the week. That, no, no, there's no daddies oh, of the week. Daddies of the week. Caddy of the week. Fuck. All right. Um, anyway, the, I just don't think this one was was on brand for me. This was. Uh, there's. I know. And I. I maybe need to give it another watch to really. F- now that it, now that I've gotten past what the movie is. Maybe if I give it another watch, I can kind of refocus it and figure it out and kind of take some opinions from there. But as of right now, that's where I'm at. This movie was fucking weird. Okay, that's where I want to come in. This is one of my favorite movies, period. Certainly of the past several years. I love this movie, but I'm not going to lie. I didn't really quite get it the first time either. And I'm so glad that I saw it again because I just was not ready at all. I had loved Raw, of course. I went in with, you know, with high hopes and high expectations and I enjoyed it. But I was just, you're not ready. And that's one reason that I, there's nothing to really spoil here. Again, the challenge of this movie is to just believe what it shows you. There's nothing secret going on. There's no like reveal. The only other movie you guys didn't mention that this is very similar to, you did mention Cronenberg, but Crash, the David Cronenberg crash, yeah. not the Oscar winner with, with uh, Sandra Bullock, but <laughs> David Cronenberg has a movie with about a group of people who get off on car accidents and they go around and try to get into accidents so they can like get off and they stage famous car accidents. It's so bizarre. I, I've almost um, brought it onto the show to talk about, but I've, I've been holding my fire because it's so friggin' weird. Um, man, oh man, I, lo- I, I love this movie. It's so incredibly good and it's so, you know, for all that we've said to me, um, this is a, a very tender and, and um, a profound statement about true unconditional love. There, there is no love more unconditional than the love portrayed in this movie. It's just so insane, but it's so sweet at the same time. Um, I'm so glad I got to see it again and really, really appreciate it. This is really something. It's on Hulu right now uh, or it's on VOD. I cannot recommend this movie enough. Well, another movie we talked about this on Hulu right now is Fresh. And this movie had uh, a lot of scenes that reminded me of Fresh. And uh, don't get me wrong. Like, we, we gave, I, th- I think we gave Fresh, like, a thumbs up, like, a recommend. Oh, yeah. This is oh, yeah. light years ahead of Fresh. I mean, this movie looks oh, like yeah. the budget was, like, a billion dollars. This is the cinema. We're talking about the cinema. <laughs> the cinema. Right. But, uh, the, like, the, the soundtrack not just the score, but like the choice of songs that DeCorno had. The dancing scenes, there's several dancing scenes in this movie, like in Fresh. So Vincent, who who takes her in as his, you know, lost son. And, and I, I mean, we can get into this, but I think he knew right from the drop that 
that she was a she and not <clears throat> his missing son, Adrian. But he's a firefighter, and he is fighting time. It's another part of this movie that's, like, big. It's, like, fighting time. He He is just injecting himself with steroids and trying to fight the clock. Um, I think maybe because he wants to have like that time to have his relationship with his missing son, um, who he thinks that Alexia is, but he's a firefighter. There's this dance scene at the firehouse that is so climax, so reminiscent of climax. Yeah. So bizarre. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it all, I mean, it all means so much. Um, and I think, you know, you're right, Trent, like this is about it's tender, but it's about the inability to be loved. Like at the end of right. the movie, what happens to Alexia is literally due to the fact that I think what DeCorno is saying is this character is just unable to be loved. So let her produce right. something that could be loved. Right. And Vincent is somebody who is just full and willing to love. He just needs something to love. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry on the show. <laughs> no. you know, that, that's interesting because I, I saw that um, DeCorno had said at one point in an interview or somewhere that her goal, one of her goals here was to create a character that was totally unrelatable. That like, nope, you couldn't put yourself in into that character. I thought that like the reason why this movie was effective in such a ludicrous plot was uh, believable is because... They did, like you said, it was in plain sight and the gritty, like realism of all the other parts and like the really great acting, it's not acted as though the people in the movie know that something ridiculous is going on. Mm -hmm. No, it's dead serious. Um, They're just going on with their life and it's just super real and it's filmed very honestly. So it's easy to like, the first time you see it, it's not that you don't get it, it's that you don't think you got it. Yes, exactly. I mean, you think you exactly. think that it was somehow way over your head. It's like, yeah. no, she just it, it doesn't really explain <laughs> everything, but you know kind of what's happening yeah. and yeah. it it almost makes it kind of like a like an urban fairy tale. She's, like a really yeah. I think yeah. she she's doing Cronenberg better than Cronenberg right now. All right, all right. <laughs> she's doing something. I mean, He's working on new I don't know. Right. I I didn't dislike the character. I thought she was at least interesting. Like she obviously had like this brain injury. Don't know why she was a serial killer, but like she was an interesting one. You know, like the kill scenes were kind of fun. And then like there's that moment where she like she's in that house with the people and she like kills her coworker and then she keeps finding more people and just like rolls her eyes. She's like, How many more are there in here yeah, that I how like many have of you to are murder? There? I'm just like <laughs> That's a great line. So like I thought she was funny, but then once it, I don't know, but then she, I kind of lost like, um, my like, not love for her, but like I lost my, my excitement for that character once she friggin' tricked that guy into letting, I don't know. It was just so weird. At he that needed point. her too. He, he but needed it, yeah, her. I know. It, it flips tricks. to him. The focus flips to him and it's been like, you've it been flips. very engaged with her and now you have to flip yeah. to him. And yeah. it, but but it's, that's one of the things that I think DeCarno does so well is like it's a hard thing for us to do. It's challenging. Like I like that. Like I th- I still think Raw is a superior film to Titan, um, but it, I may change my mind after more reviews because she's challenging you. Like you, it's it, you have to make a conscious effort when you're watching this movie to flip from watching Alexia 
to then focusing hard on Vincent. And when you do that, like the movie takes on a whole different tone and like a whole, it's a whole different experience, I think. This is a rare movie for me that I don't want to even take a break. Like I, I cannot take my eyes off the screen. It's like, I mean, it's literally like it's captivating. Like I don't want to stop it and go to the bathroom, do anything. Like it just, it's so every single moment, every minute of screen time is like, I'm just totally captivated. You mentioned some of the dance scenes and the, and the soundtrack. That Future Islands drop in, <laughs> yeah. in, into the little like firehouse party and then Vincent lifts her up. I mean, oh man, that is just, it's just beautiful. Just amazing to, to look at and it's amazing emotionally. Um, just, just incredible. Yeah, I will say that moment was a, it was, that was like the first moment I feel like you legitimately see her smile. Yes. And like the entire movie the is only when he time. picks her up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she she smiles when he does her laundry and she finds her knitting uh, needle murder weapon on top of <laughs> the pile of laundry. She smiles at, at, at that point, too. I thought it was like extra sinister when was... she did that because <laughs> this is the kind of movie where you, instead of explaining like something that happened maybe that makes them kill this just showed her as a, a kid. It was like, well, she was just always fucked up. That's why she kills. Mm. <laughs> you know? But she does go to kill Vincent at one point, and she can't do it. At, at that point, she's like crossed the threshold of like being a human. She's She's been infected now with, with love, and she can't do it. I uh, thought that was pretty powerful. You guys noticed that uh, Julia DeCorno is like kind of building like this weird universe, like the relation to the characters in Raw? How so? So, Garance Marie, who was the lead in Raw, Justine, um, she plays Justine in this movie, who is the girl that oh, Alexia right. kills at the start. Oh, they have the same name. She's yeah. So yeah. she's making out with her in the apartment, and that's when she like like Cat mentioned like she discovers that there's like six people she has to kill in this apartment. But yeah, that's the lead um, actress from Raw, and she has the same name. And then uh, the name Alexia is Justine's sister from the movie Raw, and then Alexia, who takes on the character of Adrian, is the name of Justine's roommate in Raw. So she's sort of wow, like... Wow, I didn't weird. notice that. And yeah, she's sort of like... And I find it interesting that she had Vincent Linon's uh, character's name be Vincent. So I think... I'm curious to see where she goes with this. Like, I tried to go down a rabbit hole, uh, couldn't find anything, but I'm like... I think Julia DeCorno is like building this her own like Marvel Cinematic Universe of French horror. <laughs> wow. here. That, that's that's Wonderful. a very uh, that's a very Stephen King thing to do. Even like oh, um, Brett Easton Ellis, also you know to kind of have these characters that seem to float in and out of the different works, and you know are they or are they not related? That's cool. Um, th- this is just like makes me um, bummed out that this just came out last year or so. It's probably going to be a couple of years before we, you know, see what's next. Well, you know, the name thing also could be that she just doesn't care about what people's names are in movies because she just names the yeah. girls the same <laughs> names as the last movie. Yeah, and then you Vin- know, Vincent. Vincent is- I've been calling him Vincent. Yeah, uh, that's his name. There's some Vincent. <laughs> I can't I, do the French uh, Vincent. Vincent, but. That's just his name. That's just his first name. So like, makes it easy for podcasting, you know. 
Yeah, I wonder if uh, it's easy it, for it does have a big deeper meaning and it is some like universe thing or it's all tied together or she's just like, what's in a name? I don't care. No, I, I so a couple things like one, she did get, she does get into that into some of her interviews. Uh, the other thing is she was asked in some of the interviews if she's done with the genre and she said no. She's uh, so you Trent saying it might be a couple Good news. years. Good news. She's already a year into her next project. Uh, and she wouldn't give a lot Great. away, but it, it does sound like she's staying in this vein, um, which makes me very happy. I don't even like that question. Are you done with the genre? You know what I mean? Like, who? Why are they asking that question? That's rude. Uh, well, I think genre. it kind of implies like, when are you going to make a serious movie? Almost. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I would point out that Vincent does, and I won't give this away, I guess, but Vincent does one thing in this movie that's uh, not so loving. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, you get attached to these characters and it's particularly Vincent, of course, you, you feel like this guy is just like, he's all love and to his own, um, to a, to a fault, but he's not so, he wasn't, he's not so loving in every, uh, act in this movie. Um, oh, the other thing, uh, the nipples really take oh. it. The nipples get it in this movie. There's so much, <laughs> there's so much nipple torture. <laughs> That was really hard it. to watch. Oh my god, the nips! Call that a nip rip. Her it's nipples just, must have been raw. Rip. I like her uh, her tattoo. Love is a dog from hell. It was very hot topic. Oh, it's Bukowski. <laughs> oh, it's Bukowski. She was very hot topic. There, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that are tough to watch. I'm just remembering the uh, the uh, abortion attempt. Mm-hmm. No, I Oof. think the toughest thing to watch is that she cheats on a Cadillac with a fire truck. I mean, that was just heartbreaking. <laughs> That yeah, that's when close. it really lost me. I was like, she's just throwing her no baby daddy to the to the wind. Her caddy daddy. She wants that big, baby it's caddy. a bigger hose. Many, you! Oh. There it is. Zinged him. Got him. The thing that was a little bit confusing, if we're going to talk about um, the pregnancy at all, mm. is she was scratching at her belly, which seemed to be, uh, toward the end, like splitting open, and it had like... You saw like chrome, yeah. almost like there was like a s- sphere yeah. in her stomach that was chrome. Yeah. But then I didn't know what to expect when the baby came out. And I didn't think it looked as much like the father as I, I was hoping. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it looked like the Dawn of the Dead zombie baby. Yeah. With like a little bit of metal on the on it. On yeah, a little, little well, metal also, spine. It got, a lot, it got its looks from its mother. For half sure. of its head, it looked like half of its head was also visible chrome, though. You don't get a great shot. Yeah, we didn't get like a full baby shot. We no. also are completely neglecting the fact that there is an entire scene of this movie dedicated to the Macarena. That's the French staying alive. You know, in America, when you learn CPR, they teach you to do it to the beat of staying alive. In France, oh. they teach you with a Macarena. Same thing. Is that a real thing? I mean,. I don't Did know. You if make that tempo. Did you just make I mean, that up? I might go no, to real. France next time. I'm choking. No, that's a real thing. Look it up. It's um, if you if you ever need to do to do that with someone, you're supposed to do it to the beat of staying alive. So when I go overseas next week, if I if somebody like just collapses, oh, do in macarena. Front of me, do macarena. Yeah, do macarena over there. <laughs> 